And I want to welcome everyone of you today that's in the building. It is so good to be back, to be meeting in person, to be giving air hugs because we can't give actual hugs. But we also want to welcome everyone that is watching online, and also to you if you're watching for the first time, a warm welcome to you. We are so glad that we've got technology and different ways that people can sign in, that people can be part of the service. But we started this series, and last week I mentioned that during lockdown, I watched some series about where they take old cars or old houses, and they fix them up, and they turn them into something beautiful. But another interesting thing to me is there was this series, and I can't even remember the name, of these women that went to, it's like a camp thing for a couple of days, and they eat healthy, and then each one has a personal trainer, and they get fit, and then they compete against each other, and they fall out, and then the others continue until finally there is a victor left. But that was so cool to me, how people who were like moms who maybe had some children and they haven't been active for years, how they turn into athletes that competed. Now, I've kind of went through a very similar thing. I used to be kind of involved with athletics when I was younger. Then from about grade seven, I got really bad asthma, and I couldn't do any kind of sport really from there on. And then finally, when I was by grade 11, that's some new medication, and it kind of sorted my issue out. So I was ready. I could go. And every now and again, I would be like, I have to think about my health. I have to run a little. I have to do something. I still ate chocolates and ice cream and all kinds of unhealthy stuff. But you would think about it. You would take out a gym membership, go to the gym for like a week or two, then stay away for about six months who's been there, right? And then you go back for a week or two, and then you stay away for about four months. And that's kind of your rhythm. And the gyms, by the way, I think they make 80% of their money from people who's got memberships and never go. But then finally, when Abigail was born, I just realized, man, I'm not the youngest dad on earth. And when she's going to be 10 and she wants to run around, I'm going to be walking with a cane after her. I'm going to be chasing with a, with a kitty after her because I won't be fit enough to, to just like chase my daughter around. Or if she's in school and she's like, Dad, I want to go train for, for whatever she might be doing athletics, I will be like, okay, you're on your own. I can't run with you because I'm too unfit. But the problem is, whether it's a car, a house, or your health, it's fine to say I need to improve. It's fine to say that I need to fix this, this brokenness in my life. But that still doesn't actually fix the problem, right? We need to have a plan. And that's what changed for me. I started joining a CrossFit gym where they have a plan. So this is what you're doing today. So I didn't walk into the gym with no plan and didn't know what to do. Suddenly I had a plan. There were people around me that would encourage me and keep me accountable. And some of them are in here today. So they kept me accountable so that I had to go back. So I needed a plan in order to actually make, rebuild what I wanted to rebuild, to change what I wanted to change. I needed a plan, but I also needed some people around me. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Our topic today is the move to action. Because this is the reality of life. There's a saying that goes like this. Words without actions are meaningless. They don't mean a lot. They're not worth a lot. And we read last week about Nehemiah who heard about the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem. The walls were torn down and he broke his heart and he prayed about it. And he went to the king. But where we stopped reading, he actually hasn't done anything to repair the wall yet. 
And that's where we're going to continue today is because we should not only be at a place in our lives where we care about the brokenness and whether that is your marriage, whether that's a relationship, whether that's addiction you might be facing, whether you look at South Africa and you feel everything is broken. It doesn't matter what brokenness we're talking about. It's good to have your heart broken. It's good to pray about it. And that was our homework for last week. I said, rather than complain about something this week, go and pray about it the whole week. That was our homework. But we need to go over to action. And today we're going to continue reading from Nehemiah, and then we'll talk about three things that hinder us from taking action, from repairing the broken walls in our lives and in this world that God wants us to repair, three hindrances and how we can overcome them. So if you've got your um, Bibles with you, it will also be on the screen. We're going to be reading from Nehemiah 2, verse 11 to 16. So remember, Nehemiah went to ask the king... And he was a nobody. He just served the wine to the king. He wasn't a fancy official. He asked the king to, to send him back to Jerusalem. And finally, in verse 11, we stopped just before this last week. In verse 11, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate. Isn't that a fun name? Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. That sounds a little better, right? But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. That's how broken everything is, that there's not space for him to go with his horse or his camel or whatever he had with him. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any other who would be doing the work. Because this is so beautiful, move to action to me. Nehemiah had a dream in his heart that God placed in his heart. He cried about it. He prayed about it. He goes to the king, asks permission to go, and finally shows up. And for three days, we don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was resting. Because if you were here last week, it was a 1,400 kilometer journey. Okay, if you drive up to Joburg, that's about what you're doing. No horses, no trains, no boats, no cars, foot, and camels. That's it. That's how they would travel. So he was probably tired. Maybe he was sleeping for a while. But for three days, he could have been busy with the king's work because you will see later that he actually became like the governor of Jerusalem. But for three days, he was busy with stuff. And then finally, he goes out and he starts to plan the action. He says, no one knows what they're going to do yet. But he goes out and he starts planning. And this is something that is beautiful for me from his story. Because often when we feel like God has given us a dream in our heart. Or when God has showed me that my marriage is broken. Or when God has showed me that I've got an issue. Then I'm like, okay God, you showed it to me. So you need to fix it. I've actually heard people that quit their jobs and said, I'm going to do nothing because God will give me a job. And I'm like, it's good that you have faith. But what is interesting Throughout the history of mankind, from the beginning of the book of Genesis right to the very end, what is interesting is that there's never a magic button for instant repair. God chooses to involve us as human beings. Right? God did that with Noah when he had to build the ark. God could have just given him an ark, but God said, I want you to build this. 
God did this with Nehemiah. Guys, when, when the Israelites went into the promised land, the walls of Jericho, they just walked around it, and guess what happened? Boom, they fell down. So you want to tell me a God that just randomly makes walls found, fell, fall down can't just make walls rise back up? He could. But he's like, I want you, Nehemiah, to be part of the process. I want your involvement. He did it with the disciples, Jesus, throughout the Bible. And he does it with the church. You see, God doesn't need us. The Bible says if we don't testify about Jesus, if we don't share our faith, guess what? The rocks will call it out. So God doesn't need us, but he chooses to involve us. Because I believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe when we look at the brokenness in our world, no matter what shape or color or whatever it might be, when you look at brokenness, I believe that the answer is Jesus. And God, his, his hope, his vehicle that he wants to bring this hope to the world to is the church. And God chooses to involve us in it. God is like, I want you to be part of it. I want you to, to serve. I want you to be part of the body. All these beautiful images. Because every time when you serve, a guy sitting at the back that's turning a knob on a sound desk, he's not doing an IT job. He's serving God by making sure that you can hear the message. A guy on a computer is making sure people across the world can hear it. A guy that's doing hospitality is making sure people feel welcome. Why? So that people have the best opportunity to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. God is like, I want you to be involved in bringing hope to this world. I want you to be involved in fixing your marriage. I want you to be involved in breaking with your sin. Knowing it's broken and being willing to fix it still doesn't fix the problem. You have to go over to action. And that is exactly what Nehemiah does. He goes out and he finds exactly what needs to be fixed. It's interesting to me that in the past I've, coupled, I've counseled couples and they would come to me and one would have a serious issue and the other one's like, I don't even know we had a problem. Because they never examined what the problems are. And in, so often in life that happens, we kind of feel something is wrong, but we don't get on our mount and examine the walls. We don't see what is actually broken. You see, and without seeing what is broken, you cannot formulate a plan. And this is the first lesson that I'm learning from Nehemiah is the first hindrance, not having a plan for your build will hinder you from moving to action. If you don't look at your marriage, if you don't look at your addiction, if you don't look at, at the situation with orphans in South Africa or for, with crime, or you don't look at your, finan your finances that are really in a horrible shape and examine exactly what's going wrong, you can't formulate a plan because how can you have a plan if you don't know what's wrong? Whether an athlete is training, whether a student is being trained for an occupation, there's always a plan to get them from point A to point B. And in order to formulate that plan, we need to know what is missing. There's a saying that says, plan, failing to plan is planning to fail. And I believe that is so true. Nehemiah didn't fail to plan. He goes out and he examines. And it's not just Nehemiah. It's not just me saying that Jesus actually talked about this in Luke 14 verse 8. Jesus said, who will go out and build a tower without calculating the cost, without having a plan? This is what Jesus says. If you don't have a plan, you will go. You will not complete the tower and people will ridicule you. You need to have a plan. So I want to ask in your personal life, when you're looking in the world, what is broken and what will it take to fix it? 
But sometimes we struggle to make a plan, right? We don't know where to begin. And the first place where you begin is it takes time. It doesn't happen by itself. You can go and read any autobiography of successful people in the world, and the interesting thing about them is they were always working when no one else was willing to work. Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for three days, and he doesn't go out by day. He goes out by night to examine the wall because I'm guessing his days were too full with the king's official business. When everyone is having dinner, when everyone was sleeping, that's when Nehemiah goes out to examine. And I remember years ago, my coach told me, Lou, you have to take a day in a month and go and sit somewhere to plan out your calendar to decide where you are and where you want to go, where the church is, where you want the church to go. Because if we don't take the time to sit down and plan and say, where is my marriage at? Where is my relationship with my children at? Where is my finances at? Where's my relationship with God at? If you don't take the time to do it, you cannot have a plan. So the first thing is, it takes time. And if you cannot do it on your own, then you get help. What's interesting, Nehemiah didn't go completely on his own. Did you see that? It says, I went out with a few others. He didn't take everyone. He took guys probably with wisdom on how to rebuild a wall because he was a guy who served wine. What does he know about rebuilding a city wall? If you don't know how to fix a problem, speak to someone who does know, your pastor, your community group leader, a counselor, read a book about the topic you're trying to figure out, but get external help if you don't know how to do it yourself. The second thing that's important with the plan is Nehemiah goes and he examines the wall section by section, and if you continue to read how he built, he broke it up into sections. Why? I read in the psychology today a while ago, that one of the biggest reasons why people don't move from, from wanting to change something to action is because the, pro, the, the project, the thing they need to change, seems too big. It's too overwhelming. Can you imagine? You used to bring the king wine. You used to taste his wine. So if there's poison in it that you would die and the king wouldn't die, now you're in a city with a, a wall a couple of kilometers long that needs to withstand war, and you have to build it. Because I would have just been like, I'm out. I'm not going to build this wall. It's too big. That's probably why the Jews were living in Jerusalem for 70 years after they fixed the temple and still the wall is broken. No one is doing anything because it seems too big. If you don't break it down into workable units, you won't be able to start. And that's where frustration kicks in. So Nehemiah goes, he's like, I know if I don't have a plan, I won't move to action. So he takes the time, he examines, he breaks it down into workable units, he gets a plan. And here what happens next. Nehemiah 2, verse 17 to 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Because Nehemiah knew that this project of rebuilding a city wall, even if he had a year or two, he probably wouldn't be able to do it on his own. So Nehemiah knew that he had to include other people in the build. Now, that's our second hindrance that prevents us from moving to action. Trying to rebuild a problem in your life, trying to rebuild our city, trying to rebuild the country or the world after COVID-19 on your own will hinder you from moving to action because it will seem too big, it will seem impossible, and you're not going to do it. 
And throughout the years, studies have proven that we are better when we're together. And then still I hear people saying like, no, I'm a Christian, but I'm on my own. I'm like, Jesus talks about the body, not about the individual. Every person is part of this body. Why? Because we're better when we're together. In 1920, psychologist Floyd Allport, he, he did some research, and they call it today social facilitation. And what they found was that people work better in teams, even if they didn't work on the same project, even if they didn't communicate with each other. So this is what he's saying. When people just work in the presence of another person, it boosts their motivation. God made us to live in community with others. Oxford University 2009 looked at the rowing team. And they found that the guys who trained on their own versus the guys who trained in the team, the guys on the team could tolerate twice the pain the guys that trained on their own could do. Double the amount of pain. We're better when we're together. That's the second lesson. A project bigger than you requires more input than you. Don't build alone. And I know you might be saying, but this is my marriage. My marriage. It's like, what does it have to do with anyone else? You're two people in a marriage. Get outside help. Get a counselor. Look, I'm struggling with addiction. It's my own thing. Go to a group. Find an addiction support group. Find someone to help you. There's a reason why addicts get through stuff better when the family is around them. That's why they are invited into the process than when people face it on their own. I'm looking at the issues in the country. Guess what? Not even our president can fix the problems on, the, on his own. It takes a team. It takes a village to raise a child, right? If you don't work with other people, if you don't include God in your build, you're not going to do it. Nehemiah went and he started talking to the people. People that lived in that city for 70 years and they didn't rebuild. And I learned that God chooses people to be leaders and God chooses people to be visionaries. You might be like, Louis, this problem we're facing in our relationships, that is my partner's issue, that's not my issue. If you saw it, if God places a burden on your life or a brokenness in a relationship, in our country, in whatever it might be, he probably placed that burden on your life and he's called you to carry that vision and include other people in it. You see, other people couldn't see it exactly. They were living there for 70 years. They, they didn't rebuild. So what does Nehemiah do? He goes to them and he shares the vision. In verse 17, he states the problem very clearly. He's like, what is the problem? The Jerusalem lies in ruins and the city gates have been destroyed. Burned with fire. It's like, do you see the problem? So we go back to our planning phase, right? I've examined everything. This is the problem in my marriage. This is the problem in my life. This is the problem with my finances. This is the problem in our community. So we state the problem. We're all on the same page. We know what the issue is. What's the second thing he does? He tells them why it's necessary to fix it. Because sometimes we see a problem and we hope it's just going to go away. You know, like maybe 70 years the walls are not there yet. But maybe if we wait another 20 years, the walls will just miraculously appear. They won't. So he tells them why it's necessary. He tells them that we are in trouble. If there is an issue, if there's a war or something, we cannot protect our city. It's, we are in trouble. And he tells them that we will no longer be a disgrace. People are making fun of us because we are the only city that has no wall. We need to get to why it's necessary. Why 
Do you need to repair your marriage? Because it's God ordained. God wants you to live in a beautiful, healthy relationship. The Bible says if God brought you together, no one should separate you. Because your children deserve to grow up with a mom and a dad that loves each other and show them the love of God. Why do you need to fix your finances? Because God has a bigger picture for your finances in mind than just spending and consuming. He wants you to be generous. You cannot do that if you're not in a healthy place. Why does God have a plan for our country? and for our city because he believes the best about South Africa. He believes there's a future for our children. And we need to tell people why it's necessary. But here's the issue. Even if we cause the vision, a big issue still seems to be, right? So he gives them assurance of the possibility. He tells them in verse 18 about the gracious hand of God that was on me. You see, whenever we face a big issue, our minds will always go to the impossibility of it. We'll always think like, no, but it's too big. No, we can't. Like, it will not happen. Nehemiah has the best trick up his sleeve, and it's not a trick. It's just the truth. But people forget it. And that is that nothing is impossible for God. So he does this. He said, stop looking at the wall and start looking at God. He adjusts their focus, not on the king that was just gracious to him, not on all the resources he brought for the wall, not on all the people that could rebuild the wall. It's like, no, no, if we want to fix it, do you know where our possibility lies? Upward, it lies with God. That's where the possibility of this build lies. I want to tell you, you cannot fix your life on your own. You cannot break with sin on your own. Your marriage will never work on its own. You cannot fix your finances. We cannot fix South Africa if God is not the one that's leading this. And all of it might seem impossible, but when our eyes are on Jesus, it becomes possible. Do you know why? Because Jesus already conquered sin. He already conquered death. He already conquered the Satan. He already conquered the brokenness in the world. And He sent us to live not as little babies that are so afraid of doing big things. He called us to go out into the world as champions because we are living in the victory that Jesus has paid so dearly for. He wants us to go out in victory. We're not working from a point where we are at the losing side and we have to catch up. We're already ahead. We're already living in victory. Whatever you're facing in your life, if Jesus is with you, you're already living in victory. We just need to go after what he wants for our lives. Nehemiah shared this vision and we read that they began the good work. You might feel alone at the beginning. It's something we spoke about last time. But if God has given you the call, you've got a plan, you start including other people, soon the work will begin and you will not be building on your own. Like, I've got no one. You've got a church. If you're here today, if you're listening to this online, you've got a church that's already there for you. People that's already looking up, putting their focus on God. So Nehemiah had a plan, he had a team, and then this happens. Nehemiah 2, verse 19 to 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Can you believe that? Who has ever tried to fix something in their life and then other people tell them it's impossible? 
What is this you are doing, they ask. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. Guys, whenever you try to attempt something great for God, the enemy will try to discourage you. We have a real enemy, and if you don't believe in him, you will very soon realize he's real the moment you start living for God. Because the enemy doesn't want good marriages. The enemy doesn't want South African children to grow up with parents. The enemy doesn't want our country to flourish. The enemy doesn't want you to break with sin and addiction in your life. And he will try anything he can to discourage you and to prevent you from living the life that God wants you to live. I want to tell you today, you can't control the lies that he tells you. You can't control the thoughts you have. You can't always control what other people tell you, but this is what you can control. You can control what thoughts you hold on to. You can control what truths you hold on to in your life. Opposition will always be part of your life, no matter where you are. Even if you feel like you're super high, opposition will be there. When you're really low, opposition will be there. Because the enemy doesn't mind kick a, to kick a lying dog. But this is how Nehemiah responds to them. It's like I started the work of God. Opposition comes. What does he do? They say, are you trying to rebel against the king? And what does he say? No, I'm not. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even mention the king. He doesn't mention rebellion. He doesn't even try to defend him. He's like, no, 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 but God has called me for this, you know, and I've got the king's blessing. He doesn't even go like that. What does he do? Simple two-part answer. It's like success... For this mission is based on God. Boom. His calling, His power, His truth. He doesn't even answer the stupid question. He just goes directly, puts his focus back, not on the wall, not on the enemy, back on God. And he's like, the success of my marriage, the success of my life, the success of our country, of everything we're doing, the flourishing of this does not depend on me, does not depend on you, but it's all on God. So he goes back to God's calling for his life. And I want to tell you, when the enemy starts going after you for things that you are building in line with God's word, you fall back on his truth. You go back to what God wants for you, not what they are saying to you. That's his first part. He falls back on God's answer. But the second part is, he tells them, you have no claim to this. I'm like, why is he saying this? Because he took it from who it was coming. Isn't it interesting that someone who's got no say in your life can just derail you completely? A stupid comment on a post on social media from someone you don't even know. A work colleague. It'd even be a friend that tells you, no, no, man, you, you will never succeed in this. I want to tell you, they take it from who it's coming. Why allow people with no claim to your life to influence your life? Can I tell you who's, got, who's the one who's got a claim to your life? Jesus Christ. Because he paid for your life with his life. So if you want to listen to someone, listen to Jesus. Because he's the only one with the claim on your life. He was the one with the claim. God was the one with the claim on Jerusalem. And that is what Nehemiah is saying. You've got nothing to do with this. You do not have a claim to this. This is God's work. We do the same with comparison. We don't even need an outside voice, right? 
We try to fix something in our life. We try to rebuild something. We look at what everyone else is doing on social media, in the news, a friend that's doing it, and we're just like, oh, I will never succeed. And I just become my own worst enemy. Don't listen to that stupid internal voice. Listen to God's truth. Take it from who it's coming. But that is the third thing that will, dis- will hinder us from moving to action. If we get distracted by outside voices, it will hinder us from moving into action. So here's our third lesson. Don't allow someone with no interest in your bill to discourage you. It doesn't matter what your mother-in-law is saying about your marriage. It's your marriage. It doesn't matter what someone else is saying about your spiritual life unless it's someone that's part of the church because with the body of Christ, we've got accountability. It's your relationship with God. You see, our actions should not be determined by our enemy, should not be determined by outside voices, but by God. What is God saying about your marriage? What is God saying about your finances? What is God saying about sex? What is God saying about addiction? Because you will hear all kinds of voices from all over the world, but at the end of the day, the one that matters is the one who's got a claim to our lives, and that's Jesus. Nehemiah had a plan, Nehemiah had a team. And Nehemiah didn't fall for the outside voices. And they started building. And if you skip a couple of chapters, remember I challenged you last week to go and read through Nehemiah. So this week, go and read chapter 2 and 3. If you haven't read chapter 2 yet, you can go on to chapter 4. It doesn't matter. Um, But if you go to Nehemiah 6 verse 15, this is what we read. A couple of kilometers of walls. Walls that was broken for 140 years. For 70 years, the, Jer- the Jews were back in Jerusalem and still the walls are broken down. 140 years of broken down walls. And this is what we read in Nehemiah 6 verse 15. The walls were finished in 52 days. Not even two months. And you will see as we progress, everyone was a little bit freaked out about this. They're like, how is this possible? It's like, because what did we do? We didn't focus on the walls. We didn't focus on the people. We kept our focus on God. Because with God, no rebuild is impossible. So I want to ask you today, what action step do you need to take in order to start rebuilding what is broken? I asked you last last week, what is God placing on your heart? in your personal life, in your community, in our country. And I gave you one piece of homework. That's go and pray about it. If you haven't done that for last week, then you better start doing it this week. Because God has called us to be hope spreaders in this world. What has God placed on your life? What has placed on your heart? And then if you finish praying for this, I'm not going to stop. You're going to continue praying. But after you've prayed for it for a while, Nehemiah prayed for three months. He went to the king and then he started going to Jerusalem. So after you've prayed for it, What action step do you need to take? Do you need to plan? Do you need to involve people in it? Do you need to ignore the voices from outside? But don't let a lack of planning, a lack of a team, and outside voices prevent you from rebuilding what God has placed in your heart. Let's pray. God, you know how much brokenness there are in our world, in our families, in our community, in our churches, 
in our beautiful country. And you have something so much better planned and prepared for us. And I thank you that you've called us, that you've given us the privilege of playing a part, that you've called us to be involved in your plan of hope. And I pray today, God, that we will not get stuck in in just hoping for a better tomorrow, that we will not just get stuck in even just praying for it, but that we would move over to action, that we would get our hands dirty and start rebuilding what you want us to rebuild. I pray for everyone listening to this today, God. I pray that you would show us what action step we need to take. And that in partnership with you, that the build can start. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.